Hello, listeners, and welcome to our last Game of Thrones recap here on the Feelin' Film Podcast. I'm Aaron, and with me to discuss Season 8, Episode 6, The Iron Throne, a.k.a. the series finale, are Aaron Hunley, Valar Dohairis, and Jeremy Coquera. Hello. All right, you two. Well, it is time to talk this thing through, and we have been speculating now for probably the better part of the last three or four years, and all about who's going to win this throne, right? Who's going to sit on the Iron Throne? How is this ever going to shake out? And of course, these last few episodes, we've gotten together to talk through what has taken place and all of the different developments that have led to this moment. So let's just get right into it, because as always, there is plenty to talk about. And we're going to kick it off with initial thoughts. I'm actually excited because I wanted you guys to not tell me what you thought, and I only know briefly maybe how you felt about certain aspects of the episode, but not like overall feeling. So Jeremy, I want to start with you. How did you come out of this episode feeling? Um, I honestly was like, Eh, it's fine. I feel like it was a tale of two halves for me. First half up until the point where John and Danny have their last scene together. I thought, oh my gosh, they're really going to pull this off. I thought it was beautiful, paced really well, and just a lot of good conversations and stuff that I thought was really good. But then I feel like it just kind of limped its way to the finish line from there on out. There was a few moments that I enjoyed. And in the end, overall, I was just, eh, it's fine. It's fine. Not over the moon and not signing any petitions to have it rewritten either. <laughs> so very middling. And I would I would call that probably disappointment then, right, overall, because you wanted it to go out with a bang. Considering the first six seasons of the show, I would say, yeah, that's disappointing. All right. What about you, Aaron? How did you come away feeling from this episode? And then if you've watched it a second time, I know you get a chance to do that sometimes. Maybe tell us if anything changed. I think that at this point, I'm similar to Jeremy in a couple of different aspects where like, I felt very meh about it the first time. Like, Actually, that's a lie. The first time I saw it, I was like, okay, that wrapped up way better than I intended it to. Because the last several episodes, as you listeners would know, I've been pretty disappointed and had a, a pretty bitter taste in my mouth. Um, I didn't sign any petitions, but I wasn't very thrilled with the toss away of character arcs. For the most part with this episode, I actually, aside from the unbelievable predictability of the first half, as I, I would agree with Jeremy that the episode to me gets broken up into about thirds. The first third is was really like the tension heightened in a couple of points where I was like, ooh, like this is going to get good. This is going to start turning back toward the way that it used to be. And then all of a sudden, like the main event happened and it was like, okay, we saw that coming from six miles away. And because Danny has a brain, she definitely saw it too. And she still just sat there and took it. But then the rest of the episode, I was actually pretty pleased with, aside from a few twists that I definitely disagreed with based off of the storylines that they had set up previously. Other than that, I actually wasn't mad about where each character ended up for the most part. I think that they wrapped it up as best as they could, given what they did with the earlier episodes of the season, not just as best as they could in general, but given what they had set us up for the last five episodes, I think they did as best as they could. Yeah, I actually came away feeling very similar to you. In fact, when the episode ended, I was 
on a little bit of a high initially and thought, man, this, this worked out pretty well. I think part of that for me was having sort of gotten my way in a sense. I always wanted Tyrion to be the ruler. I wanted Sansa to be in charge of the north. You know, I wanted Jon to go north of the wall or back with the wildling. So I kind of got a lot of my personal wishes, my two favorites stayed alive, things like that. And as the night went on and into today, I've started to kind of nitpick it a little bit and find some things that I found a little curious about the episode, things that don't quite make sense. Overall though, I agree. And what I think sometimes we might misunderstand or not have in the forefront of our minds when we're watching the show in this manner or, or even discussing it is that it's not like they're able to take our feedback from last Sunday and then craft how the story is going to end to give us something that is going to work better. This was all done, right? This is complete. This whole storyline was devised and written and filmed eons ago. So, I don't know, because, like, full disclosure, there was a moment in this episode where I was like, oh, did they re, like, do they refilm that? Like, two episodes, we were all pissed off because John didn't touch Ghost, and they said they didn't that have was the, the money one for him I, to touch I, Ghost. I would and not be surprised. Sudden, I, I was like, oh, okay, so now he's a good boy, and you have no problem petting him. Literally okay, thought, the money. <laughs> I thought the same thing, though, to be honest, about that. I thought, you know, I wonder if they inserted that as fan service, but that's a minor thing obviously not it's not like they can totally rework the entire plot yeah and sometimes we get it in our heads as if that's going to happen but nat like you said the natural progression of where this season has been going is pretty much this i think it's in line with that and it worked out fairly well um, for the most part you know not without its problems which we'll get into so i want to talk through it a little bit in like three sections that i feel the episode sort of is broken up into. And the first of those is kind of the aftermath of the Siege of King's Landing, right? Where we now have characters reacting to the rubble and what Danny did and then the ramifications of that. So what were you guys' highlights from this section? Did anything stand out as like wow moments or things that you really enjoyed getting to see the way they wrapped up? I really just enjoyed the visuals of it and everybody just the mood of everybody walking around and seeing the devastation, the song of ice and fire taking place against the backdrop of ash and snow to me was just beautiful. It was some of the best visuals of the entire series, I thought. Um, That was definitely the highlight of the first third to me, at least the part where people are just kind of walking around and seeing the devastation. The scene on the stairs was gorgeous. I really wanted Tyrion to push Danny down the stairs if she was going to die. Thought the same um, I thought thing. That would have been hilarious. <laughs> oh man. But uh, you know, I you know from Tyrion growing up hair and throwing that hand down, I I really enjoyed that scene on the stairs as well. So yeah, the visuals and that scene on the stairs were two big highlights for me. I definitely think that like it was really important for them to since they closed the last episode with Tyrion for them to start with Tyrion walking through King's Landing. So I thought that was really powerful. And I think one of my favorite shots is that uh, that above ground shot of him walking across the map. Number one, because I'm convinced that I'm going to have a floor like that in my future library. But also because there was a similar shot whenever they were first painting that from above. And I love the symbolism there. 
Um, and the last time that you see that ground is when Cersei and Jamie are reunited. And now he's on his way to discover their bodies. That scene was really powerful. Even though he knew the likelihood was what he was about to find, he still dug through that rubble to confirm it. And it also silenced all of those fans that were like, well, we never really saw them die. So maybe they're still alive. I think that the moment with Drogon behind Daenerys when he opens his wings as you're seeing her walk forward is probably one of my favorite moments of the entire series. When that happened, I it, it took every bit of me not to like record it on my phone and then send it to people because I was like, this image right here is what I wanted for like the whole thing. But I agree with Jeremy. In my opinion, some of the cinematography in this season has been the best of the entire show. A lot of the visuals from this episode and previous episodes were beyond beautiful. I thought it was really powerful, the Hitler-esque speech that Danny gave from the top of the stairs where I was like, oh, okay uh and a callback yeah as well 100 oh, percent one callback, of many yeah yeah where she recites a lot of the things that cal drogo said that he was going to do to get her back the seven kingdoms whenever she was like we're gonna expand this see what we did here we're gonna do it everywhere which is pretty much an indirect slash direct threat against the stark sisters and Arya telling john i know a murderer when i see one and your chick's crazy. So I thought the first third had very powerful visuals. Aside from Danny's scripted moment, though, like, I, I don't know where you want to cap this first third as to when it happened, like when the end of that third is, but like... Danny's dead. Af- okay, so like after her speech, everything, in my opinion, for the most part, kind of falls off a little. I loved the chat between John and Tyrion, especially the love is the death of duty versus duty is the death of love, because that goes back to what... Master Aemon said to him um, back in the season one of the Night's Watch. So I thought that that conversation, for the most part, felt a little dead in areas, but that callback was beautiful. I just, I, the first third was okay. Yeah, I, I think I'm probably closer than to Jeremy. I absolutely loved it. I, I mean, I was just ready to jump out of my seat. I was so excited with how the show was going up for that first third. I agree with you guys both completely. I think the cinematography in this season specifically has been some of the best I've seen in any show in any movie in a long time. It is just gorgeous. And there are so many iconic memorable shots that it's a pro and a con because you really wish that they were tied to more emotionally connective moments. Like we had cared more about these arcs so that we could recall these shots and have them impact us more. But the one of Danny is incredible. The one of Tyrion walking through the rubble is incredible. I don't understand where Arya's white horse went. They make a weird choice to have it neigh off screen at one point when we see her wake up or start walking through the city. And it's like, those are the curious, weird choices that they've made this entire season that are, are like, why did we have that sequence in the first place? If it doesn't, it was pointless. if it doesn't go anywhere, right? Like, we were all speculating about, oh, maybe it, it's symbolism that she's death and she's not alive anymore and she's going to go – or maybe it's just a symbolism that she is going to like, you know, basically get on the white horse and go be death and kill Danny. Of course, none of these things happened. So it was just weird to me and I, and I wondered what maybe was going on in their heads. I would love to know. So that that felt strange. But uh, the Tyrion finding Jamie and Cersei for me was brutal and absolutely tragic and heartbreaking. I get it. I mean, 
these characters are not good people. Jamie has redeemed himself in many ways, but they died as incestuous lovers who ultimately cared about that more than anything and or, in Cersei's case, the throne, willing to commit murder in, in a massive scale in order to get it. But there's something tragic and sad about two people who, whether they're brother and sister or not, loved each other. And more so than that, for me, it was Tyrion losing his brother and sister and literally the rest of his family. They may have treated him like crap. He may have had no one, but he really, I mean, they were his brother and sister. He grew up with them. And, and I think it's reminiscent of how we all feel in real relationships. We may despise someone that we used to be close to, but if we have that super close, tight relationship at one point, or we have that history with them, we're still going to mourn a loss a little bit. And I just think they handled that beautifully. The speech was incredible, scared the bejesus out of me. The unsullied, like banging their spears on the ground and that shot of Danny coming up with the wings, like you said, Aaron, I immediately wanted to get that gif and just start like throwing it all over the place <laughs> in the internet, um, put it on my desktop, whatever. There's a secondary shot that comes right after that where Drogon flies around and comes and perches off to her. We're looking at her from our point of view, from the army's point of view, and Drogon perches over the right side of the screen, and then on the left side is her banner hanging, and then there's like the crumbled keep behind her and the army in front, and it's just, it's beautiful, and at the same time it shows all the destruction. Oh, it's just, it looks great. And she gives that speech, and you can see everybody kind of freaking out. Again, as a Tyrion fan, Jeremy, you mentioned this, when he threw the pin down, I literally did fist pump and say, my man, because I was like, okay, you're going to die and you're going to at least die being defiant and taking a stand against somebody, no matter what, not trying to save your skin. You're going to tell her to her face that she's wrong. And if it kills you, so be it. I thought that was an awesome, awesome moment for Tyrion. It's probably one of the like top two or three moments of his entire arc that I will remember. I loved it so much. Uh, and John just being so sheepish, I think for me, one thing that really was hammered home in this episode, and, and I liked the way that the prophecy sort of plays out somewhat with him killing Danny, and, and I think he was the one that had to do it, and I enjoyed the way it went, but I think it suffered for me from not ever believing in the love. I've never once bought the romance. You know what I mean? Like, this isn't Aragorn having to kill his love in Lord of the Rings or something of the sort. There is a lack of power that comes to it for me because I don't feel like he's making a sacrifice in the way that he seems to want to state that he is. And I think you guys felt similar, right? If I'm not wrong. Well, even if you go back to, like, when they first hooked up in the cabin of that ship, like, everything in their relationship has been very, like, uh, it's just been beige. Like, I use that word to describe a lot of things. Beige? Um, but it's like, just, the it's color? Very be yeah, it's just very beige. Like, you saw his romance with Egret, and it was ten times hotter than it is with Danny. And it's like, 
you, I mean, heck, even Sam and Gilly are hotter than Danny and John. Like, there just seems to be no passion between the two of them except for, like, like I feel like they're looking at each other going, because we're both leaders, we should be passionate for one another. Ah, yes, passion. I feel it now in my bones. Like, there's really no fire between them, pun intended. But it's one of those things where I'm like, okay, maybe there's no fire because you guys are like cousins. But it's it's also like, I don't know, it just, I get why John had to do it, but I'm not going to lie. I secretly wanted Arya to just like, as John was about to stab her. No, I'm not kidding. Like, I know you're rolling your eyes because Arya, not Arya, Arya, like, Aha, she digged us. She just like, digged us both, Jeremy. In Nebraska, that's area, please. In Nebraska, that's area. I'm sorry, but in Westeros, which is where we are, it's Arya. Like, I secretly wanted her, like, in the throes of passion, as John literally has the dagger in his hand, I wanted Arya to do it so that John didn't have to have that weight on his conscience. Like, I wanted her to do it for her brother, not for, like, her sociopathic self. Because also, mm-hmm. I'm sitting here thinking, like, we went through all of that journey for Arya to learn how to be a girl and change faces only for her to never use those talents again once Thank she God. kills Walder Frey. It just doesn't make any sense. I understand that you never bought into that, like, Aaron, but there were so many other, like, magical, fantastical things that made zero sense in other parts of the series that, to me, this really wasn't, the like, the least believable thing. I also figured out today that uh, Melisandre didn't start wearing her baby face necklace thing until like season four. So I don't understand why she didn't age until then. But like, I really Random. wanted Arya to come out of it so that John didn't have to do that. And like, I kind of wanted Arya to stab Danny in the back. And then when Danny's trying to figure out what happened, look down and see the knife in John's hand and realize that he was going to betray her anyway. And like, have that be the closing moment. I feel like that would have been so much more impactful than I'm going to kiss you now. Because I love you, but I hate you. You must die. Like, it just, even her death just felt beige. It didn't feel like he actually had any conviction about having to do it. I think their, to me, their relationship suffers from two things. First, as good as they are in other aspects of the show, I don't believe that Amelia Clark and Kit Harrington have all that much chemistry. They just don't. But I think the biggest thing is the pacing that we've talked about before of the last two seasons. Every time John says, she's my queen or whatever, I just sort of roll my eyes a bit. Like, where is this devotion? It feels like in the context of the show, they've known each other for 20 minutes and he has this great devotion to her and they have supposed to have this great love story. But I don't. Everybody else earned his devotion except for her. She just kind of gave it to him. Yeah. Strike that, reverse it. Yeah, absolutely. And so to me, I never, whether it's their love story or whether it's his undying sort of devotion to her, to me, I just don't quite get it. And I feel like that's more a product of the hurried nature of the last two seasons. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right, especially because it's the whole romance has essentially taken place in those last two seasons. So you're right. It's It's been forced and it's been fast. I, I didn't necessarily get a good sense of her feeling when she was seeing the Iron Throne. I love that she didn't even get a chance to sit in it. I thought that was brilliant and wonderful and haha, suck it, like deal with it. And I thought that Drogon coming in after the fact was amazing from a cinematography standpoint. And I love the thought of him burning down the throne because I wanted it to be dissolved or done away with anyway. And that was a great way to do it. But can we talk about the little puppy nudge or the kitty cat nudge of her dead body? That was really sweet. What I want to know, though, is how how is he this intelligent? Because 
he seems to have processed everything that took place here and I, completely understood it. I feel like like we all kind of think that he understands the metaphor, but I don't think it's a metaphor. Like I saw a really funny meme that I couldn't stop laughing at where like he sees the pointy stabby thing in Daenerys's body and then sees a like a chair made of pointy stabby things and assumes that the chair did this to Daenerys. Yeah, but I saw that. It's hilarious. <laughs> I, I really don't. I think it was honestly just it was supposed to come off more as like an outpouring of anguish more than I'm going to like destabilize this democracy. Like, I don't think that that Drogon sitting there going like, this is what she worked for. And now she's dead. So I have to destroy it. I just think that it was like an outpouring of anguish over the fact that his mother is dead. I honestly think it was stupid that John was like right there and no burns and was completely fine. That's but consistent. Also, I've, I've like, noticed he's a Targaryen that. All and, yeah. yeah uh, the Battle of Winterfell that uh, Viserys was, or Viserion was blowing fire on the rocks and John was perfectly fine. So I'm assuming they're trying to play it off like Targaryen blood. But I don't think that he's that sentient as people are playing it off to be. I don't think it was a metaphor. They did a poor job in that moment, but I definitely don't think that he's as sentient as people are claiming. I would love to think so, but he's like a big kitty cat. Yeah, they're actually very intelligent creatures. If you look at lore-wise in like something like Dungeons & Dragons, they, in fact, are like highly, highly intelligent. But they also... Look at the Hobbit. They always speak. Yeah, exactly, like Smaug. I mean, they have voices though and that's kind of a part of the i guess exhibiting of their intelligence and so i feel like since these are non-speaking dragons that they're created in a way that it lends itself more to the creature than it does the sentience and that's why it was just a little confusing to me i, I get it though and and it, it's played for sweetness it's played for i'm your child you're my mother like dude you just killed my mommy kind of thing but actually, now that I think about it, think about how sentient the direwolves are, too. Yeah, like I mean, from season absolutely. one, those those pups know what their master wants them to do, either with or without a command. Like Ghost is incredibly intelligent. Yeah, and, and the dragons act Brand like that is. throughout the the whole movie yeah, too. Yeah, one hundred percent. So maybe they are just more sentient, and I just, it's just my little nitpick in the moment. It's not even a, a real problem. It's just something that stood out to me as like, wow, like they're really going full on with him knowing what's going on and then of course he he flies off with her so danny's dead we now know she's not I gonna take her well i mean he could have gotten it was a long flight where he was going could have could have needed a snack and we don't know what's gonna happen with him either like he's off in the world alone can't really mate so would be interesting to see what happens to the dragon species at that point and that transitions us into the next kind of phase of the movie which is the decision about the Iron Throne or the decision about who's going to rule Westeros and the Seven Kingdoms. And I would love, I want to know what you guys thought about this whole section and what happens to John, where he gets told he's going, how it all goes down. I also am curious if you had any thoughts in the moment as we were transitioning. Like when Danny died, what did you think was going to happen versus how did you feel about what actually happened? If it makes sense, Jeremy, um, I'm going to start with you. So how did that play out for you in that, that whole kind of wrap up? I think compared to what I thought was going to happen again, don't want to harp on the timing, but 
I guess I expected to see some immediate aftermath of what happened, and yet we come to this round table of sorts, and I thought maybe Tyrion was going to be under, you know, finding out for the first time what happened to her, and yet he's already, you know, known and processed and has opinions. And so I thought that was a little bit weird. But other than that, I guess I, I didn't have many other thoughts as far as like what was going to happen as opposed to what I thought was going to happen. In the end of a whole show that's been about fighting for a throne for it to be decided just by a bunch of people, like casting verbal votes was kind of weird. Aaron, what did you think about it? I actually thought it was really poetic um, because at the end of the day, whether or not she's here for it, she broke the wheel. So I personally think that this speech was one of Tyrion's greatest for the whole uh, season, if not this, well, not probably not the series, but one of his greatest for the entire season, definitely, but pretty close to the top for the season. I mean, the series. I love the fact that Sam is like, hey, why don't we have a democracy? And they're all like, um, go away. Like, sorry, you can't sit with us anymore. And I'm sorry, but that moment where Sansa's like, uncle, please sit down. I was like, okay, queen of my heart, queen of the North forever. So I thought that there were a lot of moments that I actually felt were true to character arcs in this scene. And I thought that was a great like way to feel better after the last few episodes. Like the fact that Sansa was like, listen, I think that you'd be a good King and all like, that's cool, but we're not going to bend the knee period. Like, even though that is her brother, she was still willing to sacrifice potentially that relationship for the sake of the pride of being a northerner. And I thought that was amazing after everything that she'd fought for. It was also really great to see that Yara was still uh, bound to Danny and she still felt that kinship toward her, even though she kind of just like disappeared after Theon rescued her. So it was really, I thought there were moments within this scene that I very much enjoyed. I definitely agree that all of a sudden it felt like it was a six months later kind of moment where you had no idea what had happened and John's facial hair had grown out like to a disgusting amount. But it was just, I, I thought there were moments in this scene that were very impactful and very powerful. I also think it's really funny that all of a sudden it's Bran the Broken. Like, cool. Uh, you could probably just call him Bran and he'd be fine with that. Uh, but Bran, the wheelchair king probably doesn't, you know, ring as, <laughs> ring as well. But I just I think that the probably the biggest letdown for me was the fact that Tyrion, after everything that he knows has happened to at least Sansa, still says that Bran has the best story. And I think that was probably the biggest moment of disappointment to me is that they're were at least two people up there that had way better stories that would be of legend that were better than Bran's. And Tyrion was like, um, we kind of still need like a king. So what's up, Bran? And Bran's like, oh, yeah, that's why I came. Did I not tell you guys that before? Oh, all right. Yeah, I agree with both of you in that I was a little bit thrown off by that. And not in the sense that Bran was being chosen, but in the reasoning for Bran being chosen. That's what kind of bugged me about that part. When we got into this scene, I actually thought for sure that we were going to have this happen, the government. This is what I was kind of hoping would happen all along. When Sam actually says it out loud, though, as much as I was wanting this, when it, when I heard it <laughs> in context, I just I started laughing just like they did because it, it sounds so forced into the show like it doesn't feel natural to westeros it feels like a modern day political statement being made in the show and i didn't love that but ultimately i do like the you know direction of course 
So Sam gets to say that. That was nice. I like that they had him up there. Love the moment where Sansa tells uh, her uncle to sit down. That's just beautiful, uh, wonderfully done. And other, it was just there was more curiosities for me. Things like John's a prisoner at this point because he's murdered her. And yet, you know, they're all in agreement that that would have had to happen. And so it's a weird thing that they're kind of holding him accountable, yet also celebrating slash totally happy moving on from it in a positive way. So you would almost think that, like, that would kind of give him a, a stay of execution, in, a, in essence. Like, why would they even be prosecuting him in this manner? Grey Worm seemed so devoted to Danny to the point that he would have murdered and killed anyone. And then all of a sudden he's... Like, just fine following whatever this council says and gets to sail off with his unsullied to have their own, like, place and start over anew. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of glad, but it didn't feel thorough for me. Like, his arc just... He lost everything, though. I, well, I'm not, exactly. I'm not saying I'm upset that he gets something in the end. I'm just saying it didn't play out that way. The last time we see him, he's ready to, like, murder John on Danny's behalf. He is absolutely committed to standing at her side and following her orders and committing any atrocity in her name. And then we flip scenes and now he's like the jailkeeper for this new council. Like he just switched leaders and that didn't feel like Grey Worm to me, like what he would have done. But ultimately he gets to go off and uh, start. I like the line about starting his own house, the house of the Unsullied. It did make me wonder how does that house ever keep going? Kind of like Drogon. It's not like they can procreate, right? So do they just go around liberating more slaves that have been castrated until, like, up for all time? Eventually, aren't they going to run out of Unsullied to have? Maybe they just, unsullied? like, it doesn't have to be slaves that have been cut. It could just be liberating slaves. Ooh, okay. And then they I have like the that. ability to, like, if they wanted to train to become unsullied, then they are still able to. I mean, the whole point of being unsullied, though, is that you can focus on nothing but fighting and being a good fighter because you don't have the distraction of what's between your legs. Right. So I don't know if they would want to change and adapt what it means to be unsullied so that they could continue a house. But again, they're not really continuing a house. So yeah, it's just interesting. Um, I liked Sam's, uh, not Sam's. I liked Tyrion's speech. I loved Tyrion's explanations here, minus that one line about Bran and talking about how from now on rulers will not be born. They'll be chosen on the spot. I love that. He really brought it home here and the way in which he throws it to Bran, the problem I agree with you. The problem with it is twofold. One is that he says there is nothing as powerful as a good story. And I think what his intention about that is, is more related to Bran's abilities to not be kind of, I guess, sullied by the war in the way that the others have and not have experienced some of those things. Although I think we all would say those are strengths in their favor to having gone through what they've been through. I also found it interesting when Bran says, yeah, why do you think I came all this way? I actually wrote my notes like in all caps yelling. Like, but if he knew this and he, he completely let all of it happen, a la Doctor Strange in Endgame, where he knows all of this 
genocide is going to take place and he's okay with it because it has to get him the realm to this point where he becomes king. So that was deep. I don't think that's the way you can look at that though. Okay. Like, how, how do you look at it? Because it's, it's, it's almost like anything that has a prophecy. I don't think that it's about Bran being king. He knew all of this had to happen for the realm to survive. And I think it has less to do with him becoming king. Like he, he knew that, the realm was going to survive if all of these other things happened. And right. the end of that survival just happens to result in him being nominated as king. Absolutely. It's not like he's saying, I'm not saying all he's of these out things for have it. to happen for me to become king. It's just, this is how the realm survives. All of you need to do these things. Listen to me because this is what happens. He just happens to selfishly benefit from it in the very end. Right. And I don't think he's even benefiting from it necessarily. Like he doesn't want it. He says that. Nobody seems to want it that we want to have it, <laughs> which is what makes them worthy, you know, as it's mentioned. And then Sansa, as much as I absolutely love and it feels 100% true to the character to be like, the North will remain independent. She defiantly tells him what's going to happen. If I'm the other six kingdoms... How does this work exactly? How does one out of seven get to just say, you know what? I'm going to be autonomous and I'm not going to serve under this realm and you're going to deal with it. Like, but I'm also going to still be a part of this decision making council. I, I just, I don't think they thought this through very well. I thought they kind of went for that zinger moment at that time and didn't really look at the bigger ramifications of what that would look like in terms of this council. So that just doesn't make sense. Like, I it's thought, cool, but... I thought the exact same thing, too. I don't know that over the course of the show they did a good enough job of showing why the North is so special to get to stay independent, other than the fact that the show is mostly about the Starks, and that's where the Starks are from. So that rang a little bit hollow to me as well. I think it's because, and they do, they talk, but they do do the groundwork in other seasons, though, guys. Like, they talk about the war that the Northerners fought to remain independent from the other six kingdoms. The North is, I think the North is more of a territory. The North is, they even say the North is bigger than all other six kingdoms combined. So it makes total sense. And they've done the groundwork. They already are separate. So Sans is just saying, we like the way things are. Let's keep it that way. Because right now, like aside from having a tyrannical leader for the other six kingdoms, this has worked for us for the last hundred plus years. Like, the Northerners are prideful. Bran would know that from firsthand experience. Like, they will not bend the knee. And, it, like, it would do nothing but cause more bloodshed and another war just so that you could say that these people now have to be loyal to you when you already have a system in place that works for those people and your six kingdoms aren't the worst for it. True. That's interesting. I, I can see that. Um, I, I do – I still think it just causes all kinds of problems if you're going to have – two leaderships from the same family from the North and one is so-called independent and the rest are beholden to the other Lord. It just creates, I just, I try to like put it into modern day politics and imagine what that would look like. And I think that it would not go well and it would not work out well, but you're right. Narratively. I was like, but you can't put it into modern day politics. I know, but that's also partially what they're trying to do. True. So it just stuck out to me. But yeah, I like I like what you said there about the fact that you're right. They did have their independence before, and she's more asserting that they're going to keep it. I feel like they said the word six kingdoms in this episode somewhere, or did I make that up? 
Maybe they didn't. Maybe I just said it in my head and, and totally got all out of whack on that. I do have a question, I guess, is change a little bit of the subject. But to me, Bran, again, whatever. I don't care that they chose him. I believe I texted you guys during that I was going to throw my phone at the end of the episode. Bran was the king. But I, I made my peace with it. I'm fine. But it seems, tell me what the purpose is of the three-eyed raven then in this whole show then. I feel like in the people who have read the books talk about how important it is. But in the end, the only thing that him being the three-eyed raven did was having us find out that John and Danny are related, which Sam did that as well. So I just, it feels like him becoming king and all of a sudden not being three-eyed as three-eyed raveny anymore makes, i think he's actually uh, going to be very three-eyed raveny and he's literally giving Tyrion the reign so i i took it oh, as okay. Tyrion is essentially the ruler with the yeah. council as it his is, punishment which was hilarious yeah i mean and, and that's why i feel like i said there in the beginning like i got my way because i wanted Tyrion to be the ruler and he is almost like de facto being the ruler. It's almost like if the president just spent all of his time on vacation and let the vice president run the country is what it feels like when, like when the he... George W. Bush administration. <laughs> yeah. Uh, sure. Unintentionally, <laughs> maybe, but yeah, exactly. And when he rolls away and he's like, I'm going to go warg out and find a dragon. You guys run the country. That's exactly the sense that I got. Aaron, did you have any other thoughts on that? And the three eyed Raven thing? I, I kind of checked out of that whole plot line. For the most part, I didn't pay a lot of attention to it because I didn't find a ton of value in it. 100% me too. I feel like, yeah, after Bran actually became the Three-Eyed Raven, for the most part, like, we didn't really get an understanding of what his actual role was, even just as the Three-Eyed Raven, except for it's, you are now the keeper of history, like, which is cool and all. It's like you're a mega librarian and your brain is like the library, which is awesome. But, like, the other Three-Eyed Raven was just some troll that hung out in a cave up north, like, by a really cool tree. So it was like, Bran is now venturing into the kingdom. So what did that Three-Eyed Raven do for, like, 17,000 years while he was waiting for Bran? Like, is Bran going to live forever until there's another Three-Eyed Raven born? Or, like, how does that process of succession work? Now, the one thing that I did notice and I saw in an article that pointed out is that Bran has essentially rebranded himself, pun not intended. <laughs> like, if you look in a couple of the scenes after he becomes king, like, Brienne on her Kingsguard uniform has the little sigil of a raven now. Yep, so that. it's like he's no longer a Stark, which plays into what he said a couple episodes ago, where he's like, I don't want anything anymore. I'm the three-eyed raven. P.S. Oh, yeah, I totally want to be king. It's cool. Like... I just I felt like they kind of again, they just kind of let that part just disappear because him being a wart has nothing to do with him being a three eyed raven. It's just kind of a perk because you meet other wildlings that have that same ability and they're not the three eyed raven. So it's one of those things where he has an extra power. And like you said, he's just like, oh, let me just go try to find this dragon. They play off of that more than the fact that he's the three-eyed raven. It also feels like it's a dangerous precedent to set for a king who can potentially thwart any opportunity to either dethrone him to, I mean, yeah, it's great for like assassination plots and everything like that. But like, if you can see past, present and future, like that's dangerous. We've learned that from goodness knows how many sci-fi and fantasy novels, like the ability to see everything is not something that you want in a leader. Like it's manifest destiny. So I don't, I feel like it's seems much more symbolic. Like you said, you know, 
goodness knows how many political systems where the leader is not actually the leader. It's just, they're just a figurehead. But Bran is way more powerful than the like than just being able to be a figurehead. So I'm not really sure where they were intending to land on that, but it didn't actually land. Like wherever they wanted us to go with that, it didn't actually land. Like I don't buy that Tyrion's in charge of everything now because let's be honest, like he's never been able to rein in Bronn. He's the sassiest person in the entire world. If Brienne ever felt like Tyrion was ordering her to do something that she did not agree with, she, you know her honor would hold true to her. Like, it, I just feel like Tyrion's not actually in charge while he may think he's in charge. Even just that moment where he straightens all the chairs and the first thing that people do is they move everything around. It tells me that he does not have as full control as everybody would like him, like, as he wants to believe he does. So I just feel like whatever they were trying to sell with Bran and Tyrion, like it didn't fully land. Like there was there wasn't a hundred percent commitment there. Yeah. Well, theme of the season, I guess. And I, I would say though, with all of the magical elements of this show, I have felt a little gypped overall. And I think that is the one place more than anything for me that the books are so much better because they are able to flesh out some of the why and the explanation around the use of these magics the lord of light and his magic with melisandre you mentioned the gaff of her not willing wearing the necklace and it's just kind of like these things are given to us they're shown to us to be cool and then we're supposed to not question at all how they come to be or how they work the night king's yeah power, there's a lack of commitment on the, the three-eyed race side they're just things. like hey here's the fantasy but we're not going to explain it at all because it'll take way too long and be too complicated whereas books can do that in the narrative and it works because there's so much time and space to do so so i'm, I'm excited if i don't think the book's ever getting finished i would love to be able to see more of that fleshed out um, unfortunately it won't get done probably so the third section is just like a really long period of time kind of wrapping all the storylines up, right? And sending our characters off to where they're going to go. We see things like the aforementioned Tyrion scene where he is straightening the chairs. I actually really loved that. The council meeting, we can get to learn who is on that council and what their roles are, get some more fun banter. Tyrion tells his joke again or starts to and for the third time doesn't get to finish it. <laughs> That's pretty funny. There's Brienne writing in the Book of Night Deeds, about Jamie Lannister. There is Arya saying that she's going to go west of Westeros and essentially become an explorer for the Starks. And then there's John, who at the previous council meeting was determined to be having to take the black and go up and be part of the Night's Watch and live on the wall that is built and protecting I don't know what because there's no threat this point of white walkers so that's a little strange but whatever it's a reason for him to go north and be with Tormund and be reunited with ghost and yeah i mean it just kind of wraps everything up sansa gets her crown and becomes queen of the north how did this work for you jeremy we'll just keep going and start with you the wall thing was a tough sell for me i believe i texted you guys that Making us, trying to make us believe that we still need the wall post the Night King was much like Trump trying to sell the American public that there's a national crisis at the border. So that feels weird. Fact that the North, that Winterfell is its own kingdom, then that kind of cut Westeros off from the wall. So is the wall still under the purview of the king? It just feels like a 
weird punishment that nobody can really enforce and i don't know it doesn't doesn't make a lot of sense but in the end john looks kind of happy to be with Tormund again or at least satisfied so my biggest issue with it is i don't hate where anybody ends up but it feels like most everybody ends up kind of where they want to be and this to me this isn't the kind of show where that makes a lot of sense. My favorite show of all time is Parks and Recreation, and if there's something people criticize about the finale... Oh, yeah! <laughs> uh, Sorry. If there's... Oh, it's fine. It's If there's something people criticize about the finale, which they're wrong, but if they criticize it, it's they say that it's because everybody just sort of like succeeded and got their wish and sort of became what they wanted to be, but that's what the show was about. The show was a happy show about people working hard and falling and failing, but ultimately reaching their goals. Well, that's not what Game of Thrones was about, and so to me, the fact that everybody kind of ended up where more or less they would have liked to be or... As, at least for John, where he wanted to be at the very beginning, didn't feel Game of Thronesy to me. You guys can tell me if you thought I was off base there, but th- that's my general feelings, I guess, about the last third. Yeah, I mean, I don't think that you're off base. I agree that it doesn't feel like it rings true, but I thought it was interesting that they chose to go to keep the whole last of the Starks thing going at the end of the episode. I think that Arya was definitely the most believable as far as where her storyline took her. And I'm 100% on board with a West of Westeros spinoff just cataloging her adventures. I would love that. Absolutely love that. Erin's only in on that if she dies. I've why lost. You, why are you just hope. the worst? Why are I you didn't the worst? say that. Why I are you the way that, that you are? <laughs> I didn't say it though. I mean, I'm fine. Episode and then I was kind of hoping she <laughs> runs into like a Leviathan and yeah. What? <laughs> Whatever. Sansa as queen in the north actually like obviously makes total sense. But to your comment, Jeremy, again, you guys are forgetting that nothing has changed. Like you're saying now that Winterfell's there, like is that gonna separate them from the kingdom? No, they were free before, they're free after. Like nothing changes. The north still belongs to the north I mean, um not the north, sorry, the wall protects the realms of men. Period. It doesn't matter if you're from King's Landing. It doesn't like they're there to protect Westeros from one direction out of four. Well, so but well, the north is the most expansive side of the kingdom. It's the The only side that they've also ever received a or perceived an external threat from. Now, with there's a South Watch, too, and it's just like South Beach in Miami, just a party all the time. (laughs) Well, with five spinoffs coming, who knows? Maybe there are more walls. No, it's down to three, isn't it? I think they've cut down the spinoffs to three now. I think they have. Well, there's there you go. South, <laughs> east, and west. South Beach north, Door. Yeah. Party City for spring break. I personally took, in my opinion, like, I see why, why everybody is upset that John got sentenced to take the black, quote unquote, because one, I'm like, he already took it. So he, I mean, like, he's going to say it's the same vows all over again, or is he just going to go up there and hang out? But I think that they were very specific with that choice for him because i think what it actually was was brand setting john free i think that he knew that john didn't want to be under any of anybody else's rule and that john had always been akin to the free folk and after he had spent time with them he was forever changed and so the idea that he could go back up there and the fact that like the final shots of the episode are them leaving castle black like the Northerners know their way around beyond the wall. Like he does, they do not need John to lead them out there and be like, here is your newest settlement people. Like they're literally venturing forth because he is good. He is now, in my opinion, he's leader of the North or King beyond the wall, whatever you want to call him. So I thought that was a great way for them to be like, you're free. Like you don't have to bend the knee to anybody anymore. Like go be, be free. I think that 
I secretly wanted, like, while they're traveling through the woods to have somebody trip over, like, a, like a white body part and then all of a sudden see, like, a bunch of body parts strewn in, like, that spiral thing and then have everything cut to black. Like, I feel like the internet would have absolutely erupted if people realized that there was still some kind of threat beyond the wall. Because if that was the Night King, how do we know that, like, there wasn't just somebody to succeed, like, to succeed after him? Behind like, every I good Night King is a Night Queen. Exactly. So I wish that there had been, like, some... I just needed a little nugget to not give the... Sh- I, it just felt like every they put a bow on it. And I don't like when shows do that. I, I like when shows have somewhat realistic endings where they're open-ended in areas. And I just feel like every single storyline... They tried to close regardless of what the character arc would have actually had closing it. So, I mean, yeah, we can be mad about like the finite details, but I just feel like the series as a whole, like, how are you going to do spinoffs beyond the wall? Like, what's the threat going to be? So I just wish that they had just come across some something to show that like White Walkers are still alive and well, or I guess dead and well, or that like there was some other perceived threat beyond the wall. That's the only problem that I have with that. Other than that, meh, it is what it is. Yeah, I'm pretty much in agreement with you guys completely there. I thought that there was a little bit too tight of a bow. I enjoyed it, though, and was happy because of all of our main characters that we care the most about making it through this whole season, essentially. The only ones we lost are ones that either, for the most part, were kind of created with problems and perceived to have done things wrong at some point. Um, and then either they died in redemptive moments or whatever the case may be, but the core group of like pure characters, it feels like made it through. And that felt a little false to me. Like you said, Jeremy about the show and and everything it's given us for the previous seven point, you know, nine seasons has been something not perfect is going to come out of this. And it ended pretty darn perfect and beneficial for everyone but it was fun it was fun to watch i think it went on a little bit too long but i get it they're saying goodbye and it's sad and it's hard for the showrunners just like it's hard for fans to say goodbye i love the moment that john and bran have where john says i'm sorry i wasn't there when you needed me and bran says you were exactly where you were supposed to be calling back to the battle of winterfell um, it really added some weight to Theon's sacrifice for me, even more so because he was the one that really was there and, and John was meant to not be there. That, that played out in the way it needed to. And it made sense more why the Night King was kind of maybe going for Bran as well. Like it was a bigger deal. Uh, Brienne adding to the history of Jamie Lannister, I actually really liked. Not only because A, it is her job. 100%. I thought it was a respectful send-off to that relationship. I think it gave us back the Brienne that we know, who is strong and honest and fair. And she can look at Jamie and see his good deeds and separate them from the personal heartbreak that he caused her or the, the way he treated her. And I thought that was just... A beautiful thing. It shows me like she's the one that needs to be in charge of the Night's Guard anyway. Like she is in the right place. Did um, you like I know that I might be like slightly nerdy on it, but while I was watching that scene, did you pause and actually read what she wrote for the full thing? Because my goodness, it was like so great to see. Like you said, I felt like we lost that chunk of her after Jamie left her. I'm st- I'm still salty about it. Like Brianna would never freaking beg. But 
like well, one this thing moment she was, where she sat down and she was just like, he died protecting his queen. And it's not wrong, but it's, Mm-mm. it's, it's not also, it's in a way that doesn't outwardly condemn him. It no, is, it honors his character. It is so beautiful. Like the it way she did it. It honors his job I, as a yeah. knight. Right. It really is. And, and I just, I loved that. I thought it was a great moment for her. I enjoyed the heck out of that final council get together uh, with Sam bringing in the book of a song of ice and fire that uh, Maester, I forgot his name, Aidman something um, had written. So essentially the story that we all know. And then we find out, you know, who, what each one of them is filling. Braun gives us a hilarious line, of course, because that's what Braun does about, are you a master of grammar now too? I literally like almost spit out my drink when he said that. But then one of the things that I thought about after this episode was kind of after I enjoyed the banter of that was this is kind of not realistic at all. Like why is Braun the master of coin? Like on what planet is yep. Braun qualified <laughs> yeah, that was to run lame. the realms finances? Like, I mean, Especially obviously he wants to spend it on whorehouses. <laughs> yeah. He's like, where are the prostitutes at? So yeah. And then somebody else pointed out to me, they were like, and Sam's the maester, you know, master of the maesters or whatever they call him. And he doesn't even have a link in his chain. Like he's not actually ever completed studying anything. So plus he stole a bunch of books from the Citadel. Remember, <laughs> he likes to remind us of what he's done. <laughs> oh, we will never forget. So it was kind of, you know, a little forced, I think, in that moment where it's like, OK, here's all of the named characters, you know, and care about. I mean, we hadn't seen Braun. For like, we saw him like three times this episode. We saw him get a crossbow. We saw him show up with a crossbow and tell Tyrion and Jamie, um, I'm going to be looking and watching you. And then we show, saw him show up at this council member table. Like that is it for the entire, entire season. So I felt like it was pretty forced, but again, I forgive it because the banter there was a beautiful thing and just so much fun. And then ultimately, like you mentioned already, ghost getting petted was, was really nice. I loved. Um, Jawadi's theme remix that he plays in the background as they're leaving the castle, uh, Castle Black and the Wall. I actually wish that the cutoff shot of the show had been John looking back over his shoulder as the gate closes to the north. I wanted it, it, it actually kind of like hits black for a second. And I was like, yes, like hit black and fade to black right there and let's be done. Um, but then it pans out. It shows us, you know, them all marching off into the northern woods and that's fine i I do just love that he gets to go be with the wildlings and and torment and ghost and i felt overall like it was still an enjoyable watch like i wasn't hate watching this episode in any way like i have some of the other ones i wasn't enraged i just kind of had a couple shake my head moments and to me it was good enough and is an impossible task to provide a universally satisfying ending to this decade long series with so many characters. It makes me respect what Avengers Endgame did a lot more, to be honest, like having a way to wrap these things. It is not an, an easy task. It is very, very difficult. And these two properties are examples of what it's like in this era to fight against fandom where we've never had this kind of thing existing like this on a, on a vocal level, at least with feedback. And so I like it. I thought it was done well enough. And I thought that they spent a lot of that last 
kind of third, really trying to set up the potential for these spinoffs and sequels that we're going to eventually get. I'm I very just don't like that, on them. I don't either. I don't like that either. I don't I'm like, it now. just felt like very uh, ticking boxes. Like, we need to show them going here so that in two years when we develop this, we can show them picking right back up from this moment. Like, it just felt so scripted and not organic in any way. And it, I don't know. I just, I'm just so meh about the season. Like, I'd give the season, like, a D, and I'd give this episode, like, a C, C-. minus. Yeah, it's an interesting concept there. De- Jeremy, what would you give it? We are at the end, so what would you give this season, and what would you give this episode? I think I pretty much agree with Aaron there. I had someone who's never seen the show before ask me about two weeks ago when I first started getting pretty down about the season, knowing what you know now, would you recommend that I ever start? And it was uh, MJ from the Feelin' Film Group. Anyway, and I said, you know, you got to give me till the end of the end of the show because you know there's some shows i always think of dexter why i watched the season the series finale and it made me wish ever it made me angry about every second i'd ever spent watching the show and i finally just told them you know knowing you specifically but if i would have known it was going to end this way i don't know that i would have invested that much time in it but those first few seasons were so great the ending does just kind of feel like a thud to me. So I, I'm, I'm with Aaron there. I would say a D or maybe that's a little bit generous for this season and the way it wrapped up. But as far as the episode itself, average to C minus. Absolutely. I'm much higher on that. And I think probably people would guess that if they've listened to us over the episodes. I thought the season as a whole was closer to like a C plus B minus for me. I didn't hate it. What? In a lot of ways. No, I, I didn't hate it. I mean, I, I enjoyed it for the most part. And I thought that there we was didn't give it an S. some amazing Like an F would have said things. we hated it. I, a D is pretty bad. <laughs> and, and, uh, it's still and, passing in some classrooms. And for me, this episode was a, a solid B. Um, I, I thought it was good. And I thought it was accurate within the, the framework of the season. And I was satisfied. So... That's okay. And you're allowed your opinion and you're allowed to like text me right now <laughs> where the listeners can't see and like cuss me out for my ridiculous thoughts here. But it's okay. Um, it, I, you know, I would disagree, Jeremy, actually, as well. My daughter watched this season and it was the only episode she's ever seen of the show. She just happened to like be downstairs with my ex-wife watching. And so she's followed along and she wants to go back and see the whole thing from the start. And I encourage that. And I think it's great because these characters are amazing and the time we spent with them to me is not undone by their final ends i think aaron you might have tweeted or made a facebook post or something that said something similar to this but like it is about the journey that we took with them and not about the destination for them well and i think it's i think it's actually a combination of both because I didn't like, I think what I said was like, I didn't like the journey this season, but I didn't hate the destination of this season. And I get what you're saying, Jeremy, where you're like, I don't know whether or not I would have invested this much time in the show. To me, this sounds terrible, but like time didn't really hold the value. It was more like I probably wouldn't have had as much emotional investment in it than anything else. But the story writing and the creation of this world that was able to do this to the point where you have a million fans signing a petition to redo the entire season tells you the impact and how powerful this is. And I kind of wish that if, if somebody was going to do this, I would want them to like 
wait like five years, let the show age a little bit, let it so that they're not picking up based off because I you know me like if I go into a movie that I haven't seen before, I don't like hearing anything like I don't even want somebody to be like, Oh my gosh, you're gonna love it so much. I don't want to hear that at all. I actually got mad at somebody that kind of Star Wars came out in Ireland before it came out here. And my friend deck kind of ruined it for me because he's like, Oh, you're gonna love it. It's got great like blah, blah. And I was like, like, I can't believe you just said that. And he was like, I didn't spoil anything. I was like, I, I want to go in with a completely blank slate, like no emotions whatsoever, because I don't want to sit there and think, is this the part that I'm going to love? Or is this the part that I'm going to hate? So I think if I was going to encourage somebody to do this, I would definitely encourage them to wait at least a year before starting the show to let the heat off of social media die down, if not longer than a year. Because to me, like this show just is so beautiful. And the fact that it did create such passionate fans tells you the kind of engagement that at least the first five, five and a half seasons were able to create for all of us before things kind of started to take a turn and then just was a poop bag on fire. Oh, before I forget, my favorite part was when Tyrion was in the like looking for his sister and his brother and he came across his he came across Jamie's gold member. Oh my goodness gracious. I told you there I it is. Austin Powers in it. Oh! <laughs> wow. Did anybody That's... notice that Sam created plastic water bottles? I did. <laughs> that's how he became a Grand Maester. Oh, Absolutely. maybe that's what it you was. Need you get to, you get to skip. The, you don't have to go to college if you can create. You can be an inventor of plastic water bottles. There are some also like modern things that are in earlier seasons that I find really funny. I just watched an episode where I can't remember the name the name of the character, but he's watching Rob and Aaron fight, like pick up a fake sword for the first time, and he's like. He fights like he's got he's a girl with palsy. And I'm like, did y'all have palsy in Westeros? Like, seems like a strange reference. That is funny. It's almost like you've written so much dialogue and like you just kind of let one naturalistic thing slip. Exactly. And gets by the editors <laughs> and fills out a place. That's great. I think that wraps it up for us. This was fun. It's almost too bad in hindsight that we weren't able to do this from like season one. How fun would that have been to have that history? Game of Thrones has been awesome and a cool experience overall. And it's been a great time being able to talk through the last several episodes with you two. Listeners, if you're not following Jeremy and Aaron, their social media feeds are linked in the show notes and on our website. And they're both in the Feel and Film Facebook group. So by all means, please follow these wonderful people keep up with them they both love to talk on social media on twitter they'll engage with you and have conversations as well they both love a good meme so send them all the fun memes and yeah hope you've enjoyed these episodes as much as we've had fun making them for you and with that i guess now our watch has ended 